Welcome to On the Journey Conversations, sponsored by the Women's Leadership Center of Women's Missionary Union. I'm your host, Sandy Wisdom Martin. Today's interview was a surprise engagement. I was at an event in Virginia and reconnected with Dr. Ron Harvell. He is currently the director of the Dewey Center for Chaplaincy at Charleston Southern University. Ron is a Brigadier General retired from the United States Air Force. This was a real treat for me. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Ron, I'm excited about having you on the podcast today. Welcome. Thank you very much. It is an honor to get to see you again. And after several years, getting to see you in Texas and then again here at the IMB workshop, it's been great. Well, thank you. Now, my husband's a chaplain, so you've been a chaplain and that interests me. When I think about someone who has the title Brigadier General, you don't fit the mold in my mind of a Brigadier General because you're kind of a gentle giant. Is that offensive in any way? (laughs) No, not at all. As a minister and being in the role of a chaplain is that you reflect a lot of the Lord's qualities. One of the great things about the chaplaincy is it provides for our airmen, soldiers, Marines, sailors, or Coasties, and now Space Force. Uh, it provides an opportunity to have someone that they can talk to who is really in the system, but also other than the system. And for example, with our confidentiality that we have and the fact that we're ordained clergy, there's something about being set apart. There's rules that we have with the Geneva Convention and other federal laws that, that apply to chaplains as ministers in the field so that we can go with people anywhere in the world, military chaplains particularly, can go anywhere in the world with the troops and forces and be pastors for them. And so in that regard, we provide religious care and services. We provide counseling and encouragement for them. And then sometimes provide a moral support for them to be able to have an advocate that can go to leadership and be able to deal with concerns and issues. And so uh, we have the rank that goes with the different responsibilities that we have. It was an honor to get to be able to be retired as a a one-star general in the Air Force. At that point, I was the deputy chief of chaplains of the Air Force at the Pentagon and was responsible for helping the chief of chaplains to help the chaplain part of the Air Force globally be able to function and care for our people in hopefully better ways. What amazing opportunities that God gave you. Tell me, how did it start? How did God call you into chaplaincy work in the military? Well, this is a great question, and it was very difficult. When I was 17, I felt called to be a foreign missionary in Colorado Springs. When I went forward to have that profession, just something the Lord said, just say special service and not foreign missions. But always plan on foreign missions. Went to Hardin-Simmons. Omi dated girls who were called to foreign missions as well. And of course, at Hardin Simmons, there's a lot of girls that were called to foreign missions. Took the courses as much as I could that had to deal with cross-cultural ministries and church planning, and the same at seminary. My wife and I met at Hardin Simmons. She was 10 when she felt called to be a foreign missionary. We dated, and it's a great long story about how we came together and how God brought us together. I went to Southwestern. I was on a missions track. And so all of my classes that I, as much as I could, beyond the core was in how to do church planning, cross-cultural work. And so that was a lot of fun. 
But halfway through, the Lord really redirected our minds and hearts into the chaplaincy. And I grew up as an army brat. My dad was a helicopter pilot, and he kept saying, son, why don't you want to be a chaplain? And uh, I, I'd be a chaplain. I said, Dad, I don't want to be a chaplain. I don't like chaplains. I want to be a foreign missionary. It's what God's called us to do. He's not bothering us about it, and we started praying about it, and our hearts really did have this sense of attraction to this affinity group that we didn't see it that way. So we prayed about it for six months in our church in Weatherford, Texas. We prayed and prayed, and, and I just said a week in advance, I said, okay, God, I made an appointment with the head of the missions department and the head of the chaplaincy department there. You've got to tell us something. Tuesday night, we just really felt God's peace and said, God, you've got to be kidding me. You really want us to do this because it really wasn't what we wanted to do at all. Because it was like, okay, in, uh, in some circles, in some church circles, the highest calling you can have is to be a foreign missionary. And that time particularly, the lowest calling was being a chaplain. Why did you leave the ministry was often said to me. Why are you leaving the ministry to be a chaplain? Because it was this real sense of the opposite of what was called service. I think after the Gulf War and the rise of the value of hospice chaplains and, and the medical chaplains, the positive effects of prison chaplains in, in, in those roles. I think the esteem of chaplains has been continually rising, and I think the last two years, particularly with the hospital chaplains and the hospice chaplains, yes. are been the front lines heroes of the chaplain corps around the world, pastors who've gone into places to risk their lives in the COVID war, and just amazing what people are doing, similar in the risk factor to folks that are ministering on frontline forces in uh, dangerous places in the world. So it's not the direction that you wanted to go. You oh, wanted to be a foreign missionary, and it's not even given high esteem when you start down this path, but you're willing to go wherever God leads you. Right, right. That's the deal. God, we're yours, whatever you want us to do. And that was always our, our resolve. God did a series of miracles that next day, that Wednesday, reconfirming this, things that had not been a part of any of our life before, people we met, things that were happening, events that were taking place that were being sponsored by the North American Mission Board about chaplaincy that day I knew nothing about, and met the person who would eventually bring us through the system. And so back in the 85-86 time frame, the military was downsizing significantly, and it became very difficult to get in. In fact, you had to be a seminarian chaplain candidate to be able to get an active duty slot at that point because of the drawdown was so severe. Then God opened the doors for us to get one of those candidate slots. Just as we were finishing seminary, the timing was absolutely perfect. And so we were working in this church in Weatherford for two and a half years and finished seminary. And God called us out to West Texas to a little church in Kermit, Texas, and did chaplaincy work with the Dias Air Force Base for about four and a half years, waiting to go on so active duty. So you're doing duty. this as a reservist? Mm-hmm. Pastoring full-time. As a reservist, and God just blessed this little church in Kermit, Texas. It uh, had about 10 people in it then, and miraculously, over the four and a half years, 300 people joined, 150 by baptism. Just a, a revival took place with this little church. Oh my goodness. And it's still doing strong, and it's there still, a Northside Baptist church. That's a pretty good assignment waiting on the Lord. Amen. To oh, see God, that kind of God. growth. Yeah, it's all God. It was just. Knowing that God could do it, you know, we knew we couldn't do it, but God could do it. And if yeah. God asked us to do stuff, He was going to take care of it. And that was kind of the church just had that attitude of, what does the Lord want us to do? That really did help. So when we went into the military formally, full-time in 1991, then both the kids who were born in Odessa, Texas, so they grew up in the chaplaincy. 
but they were a part of ministry and one of the great things, particularly at this time, Air Force ministry was a lot like a local congregation in a town. It was great because you were a part of the community, a part of that, but we get to preach, teach, do youth world programs, singles programs, run education programs. It was very similar to pastoring in a, in a Baptist church because then you also represent your lane of, of beliefs. And so as an evangelical, the vast majority of the time I was able to be in a congregation that was of the same belief systems that I had. So did your dad forgive you for going to the Air Force? No, no, no. He very much encouraged it. He said, son, he said, I, uh, uh, if you're going to join one of the services, join the Air Force. They treat their people better. <laughs> <laughs> and, so, and so he's, he's Army. Not only is he Army strong, he's Army smart, and he wanted the best for his son. So he is a great guy. We always wondered when God was going to ask us to move away from the chaplaincy into something differently. Because in our hearts, we were open to to do whatever the Lord wanted us to do. And a lot of chaplaincy work is difficult because you're working in in an environment that has people that their worldview or their belief system about eternal things is different than yours. Mm -hmm. And you're on the same staff. And sometimes they're your bosses and things like that. And sometimes you really feel like you're, uh, you know, not, you know, just, it's, it's hard. It's hard to work in that environment. Well, you have to absolutely represent what your endorser says. So the North American Mission Board commissioned Marcia and I, and I call us missionaries. And unapologetically, we have always felt like God called us as ministers, not just as chaplains, but as missionaries, that the role was as a missionary. We were going to a people group to reach them, to care for them. We just had amazing time in the ministry working with the different work congregations. And so we had 15 assignments and a bunch of deployments and we got to work through all those. And we had a great opportunity to see people come to know the Lord and to grow in the Lord. And so it was good. One of the great things that was fun for us was we got to go to Mombasa, Kenya, and Marsha and the kids came as well. We had permission for them to come. And we were working in Somalia at that time in 1993. We were able to work with the UN and doing some refugee work and with the local IMB chaplains that were there, and they were saying, hey, why don't you guys come to be here with us? And we thought, well, maybe that's what we're supposed to do. But then God closed that door. And then that would become the pattern of every assignment we went to. Okay, God, is this the time we're supposed to get out? Is this what we're supposed to do? Because it's, it's difficult. It was also we were wanting to be faithful to the Lord. And so whichever assignments, we were trying to make sure that we were in God's will still, and whether it was our time to leave or not, God would just always close the door. So you had 15 assignments. How many of those were different countries? For the actual assignments, we were stationed in Okinawa, Japan for three mm-hmm. years. We were stationed in Ramstein Air Base in Germany for three years, and then two years in Qatar. I also spent a year in Qatar as a wing chaplain for a deployment. It was a remote assignment in Alaska and had um, several deployments, so including Africa and including South Korea. I was the deputy command chaplain for Europe and Africa and Germany. was the director of chaplaincy ministry for the Middle East in uh, Qatar. And so you just think about just the travel, and Marcia and I counted up. We're probably at 56, 58 countries that combined that we've been able to go to. Some as a tourist, God just has allowed us to be essentially foreign missionaries, and our people group being the Air Force. And, and you get so to still speak English. Right. And, and we learned and picked up a little bit along the way. God wired both of us to be able to work and be flexible mm-hmm. and 
to go and to do what the Lord wanted us to do in those different locations. And, and it was fun. It was a good assignment. I think we were faithful to the Lord, and it was profitable in ministry for the kingdom's work. Well, I know there had to be challenging moments. What's one of the hardest things that you had to do as a military chaplain? That's a great question to try to single that out. I would think working the Dover mortuary, I was responsible as the wing chaplain at Dover for the mortuary and the chaplains that I had assigned and have trained to work in the mortuary, just the effects, the physical mm -hmm. effects on their lives, knowing that it would hurt them and that that would affect them, that everybody going into that would in some way be affected. That was difficult to do because it was such an important ministry. They're ministering to the, just a few families and then ministering to the staff that works the mortuary. And then sometimes there's people that came back with them the, that were escorts and taking care of them. So our teams just did a great job working in the mortuary world, but it's hard. It was a hard place to, to go and do. Personal level, the hardest thing was going to Iraq because that hurt Marsha the most. Because when I was going to Baghdad, to serve there. She was just begging God, says, God, please don't let him go. Don't let him go. I'll do whatever you want me to do. Please don't let him go. And it was just so hard. One of the toughest things about deployments, which most folks wouldn't catch this, is that as soon as you hear you're about your deployment, it could be six months before you go. All of a sudden, you move apart, and if you don't go closer necessarily in that time, it's hard because then the other person now is bracing for you not being there. And so there's an emotional gap that happens. So as soon as you announce, hey, we're, I'm deploying, then all of a sudden your deployment starts in a way then. Emotionally. Emotionally, yeah, because she's now protecting herself and she's so got she, to survive so it. So hurt as yeah. much. Yeah. That's survive. very interesting. I've never heard that before. And I, in our situation, once I was gone, Marcia was able to say, okay, we're going to get through this. And she made it great for the kids and worked through it and grew through it. And the Lord greatly blessed you in it. That had to put a strain on your relationship because mm. you're wanting to spend more time with your right, family. Right. And it's hard. So those were difficult times. And so when we went to Qatar for two years, we were able to go together. I had an option. I didn't have to take the assignment. I volunteered to do it because she was able to go with me. And so we were able to work that deal with the generals. They set it up where Marcia could go. They gave us the green light to go, and so we said, okay, we'll take the assignment. We live downtown, and downtown Doha, very much a Muslim country. And during that time we're there, Marsha's getting notifications from people that she had worked with before, and they said, hey, listen, we want you to do a devotional for us. To go in our spouse's magazine, and Marsha said, okay, I'm going to write a devotional, but remember 20 years ago I taught you about how to pray God's Word for your families, and I want to write the devotional about that. And the editor said, perfect, that's great, let's do that. And then they said, well, can we get another one? Well, can we get another one? And then she said, I, I want them to be, I want the folks to get into the Word. I want them to get in the Word and then learn how to pray that Bible back to God and to have confidence in that. She goes, I think God wants us to put together a devotional. So here we are in Qatar, in the three mosques around us with the prayer calls going, and she's writing and praying for the folks and writing these devotionals. And so the watchman on the wall, based on Isaiah 62, 6 and 7, the watchman on the wall series comes out of that. When we met several years ago in Texas, you told me a story about watching 
watchman on the wall. And that's mm. where God gave you the idea. Right. Do you remember that story you told me? I do. In, in 2013, I was in Bagram, Afghanistan, with uh, Chief Master Sergeant Keller Benningfield, who's from West Texas. Chief and I were, were visiting our chaplain teams at Bagram Air Force Base in Kandahar and Kabul. We were at Bagram for this particular story, and in Bagram there was this tower that was, for folks might remember, there was a riot for burning of the Koran accidentally, and there was some riots that took place in this roundabout area where a lot of the local workers go in through the security gates and details, but there's this tower that stands up there. It was almost midnight, and we went up in this tower, and there was two airmen first class there, one from California and one from Texas. And there's not much room then. After the four of us standing there with, with all of our gear on, they pointed out the positions. They said, over here is where the Taliban is on the left side. And they looked down on the right and they said, the Al-Qaeda are in this position. And so I asked the question. I said, guys, I said, uh, are you concerned about there being an attack tonight? And they said, well, sir, we hope there's not an attack tonight. But if there is, we'll do our duty. Here are these watchmen on the wall, these centuries. If they weren't in place, the people inside the wall die. And if they're not doing their job, then the enemy wins and they take over this land. Now, certainly it's a controlled environment with God because he kills back the enemy. But he's calling us to make a difference in prayer and to call him to act and to do and to be a watchman on the wall. And what I challenge folks to do is to take responsibility for being a prayer warrior for their families and to encourage them in this role, to have a place where they can go into the Lord and say, God, you said, your word says, and be a watchman on the wall. I like those watchmen were, that we would come as men and women for our families, for the sake of our loved ones, for our church, for our country, to pray with confidence, to go to the wall and say, Lord, do this, please. Your word says do this and answer these prayers and establish my family establish our ways, establish our paths. It's a daily challenge for me to, okay, God, is it going to make a difference? And can I meet you on the wall and pray and watch you change the landscape of eternity and do these great things for your kingdom and for our sakes? And the question is, is God bigger than any of our problems? Is he bigger than Afghanistan? Is he bigger than Iraq? Is he bigger than the issues we're facing in Yemen, and, and is he bigger than Syria? Is he bigger than these issues of, of this world, and is he bigger than COVID? Is God greater than all these things? Well, of course he is, but we don't pray like that. We don't pray with that confidence. Can God bring revival to the United States? Well, of course he can. Why don't we ask him? Why don't we ask him to do it and have that fervent prayer and say, God, please do this, do this. Start it in my life. Let the revival begin with me and make it happen for us and make it happen for our folks and our loved ones, wherever they may be around the world, to pray for them and to pray fervently and to take it seriously. Now there's 1,472 devotionals total, one from every chapter of the Bible. They're not in chronological order, Genesis to Revelation, but each one of them has one of the books from the, the law, or each one of them has a gospel, each one of them has wisdom literature in it, each one of them has prophecies in it. And so they're all like self-contained books, but that was started there in Cutter in that prayer time, and she wrote the first one, and then she goes, I think God wants us to do a chapter from every Bible. So that was 2014, the next one came out in 16, then we had another one in 18, and then last year was the fourth edition. So that, that, that whole set was put together. So like any great devotional, you may have a scripture, maybe a chapter you're reading, and then a great devotional. 
Well, this has all that. Then at the bottom of it, it has a prayer that's been written with a blank space for you to put the names of the people that need that particular prayer. Uh, maybe it's for yourself, maybe it's for others, and you can pray that and use your prayer list. What's cool about this book is it has the prayer at the bottom is an exhale. I know as you've been teaching people to pray this way, to pray for their families, God has done amazing things. What are some of those stories you've heard? Well, it starts from the miracle of couples praying together who've not prayed before. And then you do the watchman on the wall together. Focusing prayers for folks to have come to faith that uh, they, the people have been praying for. In the syncing, the timing of the different books when they come out and the people that have, have followed them year to year will write and particularly write to Marcia and say, you just won't believe what this meant to me today. Because today I really needed this or today God answered this prayer answering prayer for people that were sick, answering prayers for folks to be saved, praying for our communities, our country, and praying for our loved ones. A lot of times the Watchman on the Wall books, God just aligns them in people's lives and they go, wow, that was just exactly what I needed to get through this day. That positive effect on, on folks who will take this and they will, they'll journey with the Lord through, through the year. It really is amazing how rich God has made these devotionals and how powerful they are in people's lives. Well, you've been on an amazing journey, Brother Ron, and I'm grateful for you, grateful for your service to our country, grateful for your service to the kingdom. God bless you. Thank you so much for the privilege of getting to be with you again, to see you again, to reconnect from quite a few years ago when you well, were in it Texas. A, it was a blessing, a surprise blessing to be at this IMB event and to see you again. Well, thank you so much. And please, everybody, folks, thank you for your prayers. Please pray for our chaplains, our military forces that are out there, and uh, chaplains from all walks of life as they are caring for people as an extension of their churches into the community to do ministry for others. And so God bless you. Thanks, Andy. We'll be praying for the WMU community and all the great things that you're doing for our missionaries around the world. Well, thank you for being on the podcast today. Thank you very much. Did you enjoy hearing about God's work through Ron's life? Ron and his wife, Marcia, have just taken on a new challenge. How do you disciple someone who just accepted Christ? 50 Steps with Jesus takes new Christians on a 50-day journey, learning the simple, elementary, basic things of what it means to be a Christian. They learn how the Holy Spirit uses prayer, the Word, and the church to help them grow. The program is designed for a shepherd to walk with a new Christian for the first 50 days. Visit GodsGreaterGrace.com for details about Watchmen on the Wall devotional books, as well as 50 Steps with Jesus. We'll see you next time.